0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the critically acclaimed network. My name is William Bibbiani. I am a film critic, and everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, My name is Whitney Seibold. I too am a film critic. People call me the fibrous one.
1: They don't. No, nobody calls me that. I'm not even even sure what that means. That Uh, sounds gross. That I'm fibrous? Yeah, like, like I'm a, you
0: yourself are actually I am, I am like... I'm made of wet bamboo. I'm imagining like cutting you open and you're just full of hair. <laughs> Instead of blood, just hair comes out. You don't know that. Maybe We're, I could be full of hair. Well, this is already a weird uh, a weird episode. Anyway, yeah, this is, the, uh, this is the podcast here at Critically Acclaimed where we answer your letters. You write in letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. And uh, we answer them. People uh, send us uh, questions, questions about the industry or uh, movie history or if they want movie recommendations. Sometimes they want to challenge us. Sometimes they want to critique our critiques. Sometimes they just want to say hi, and we will say hi right back. So uh, you can email us letters at criticallyacclaimed.net, and maybe we'll read your email on the air. We read as many as we can. We never quite catch up, but we do our best. And without further (laughs) ado, Whitney... Where are we starting this week?
1: Where are we starting this week? We're gonna start with Johnny Starlight. Hey! Uh, Johnny Starlight is written in a couple times, but we like when Johnny Starlight Johnny writes. Johnny Starlight in. Rocks. She is a wonderful person. Um Hi Bibbs and Mr. McCool at K-E-W-L. Mm. Um, Rockmeister McCool is my right in name. Yep. And all of the any spelling you can think of is correct. They're all right. Yes. Uh Hi Bibbs and Mr. McCool. So a couple of years ago you guys made an Oscar predictions. Oh for the twenty eighteen Academy Awards. Yep. You guys made a wager that whoever made the least amount of accurate predictions, you two would do a commentary track for the loser's worst movie of twenty seventeen. Mm. Bibb's worst movie was Transformers: The Last Night. Whitney's was The Book of Henry, <laughs> and Whitney lost, as, as I often do. Yeah, you've beat me before, once or twice. Yeah, you uh, beat me though. I, I have. You have, mm. and you beat me resoundingly
0: a couple of years. Like, I, I think
1: there was one year where I got like only up. two or three wrong. I was yeah, really proud proper of proper trouncing. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, now seems as good a time as any to ask, is that Book of Henry commentary coming along anytime soon? Well, we've been putting it off.
0: Why? Because it's the because, Book of Henry. We don't want to watch the Book of Henry. It's, it's really uh, bad. I know that there's this, like, group of people who wish that Colin Trevorrow had done episode nine, and I'm not going to lie, given how it turned out, maybe it would have been better. But uh, a lot of people are just like, well, yeah, we really, you know, Book of Henry wasn't that bad. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It, it was. was really bad. It's bad you're, bad movie. And if you, you disagree, that's there. fair, but I stand by I saw that movie. Holy and, uh, crap,
1: was that a mistake? And, uh, and you y- you know what else was a bad movie? Jurassic World. I didn't like Jurassic, Jurassic World. Jurassic
0: World is a competent movie, though. It's, like, Jurassic World, here's what Jurassic World did.
1: Here's what Jurassic World did. Excellent
0: production value. Good special effects. Listen, but, you know. it makes huge mistakes. Mm. No denying it. There's some terrible dialogue in it. Mm. Uh, there's that one kill in the middle of it that is just egregiously, like, easily like, tossed around and fed to the eel. I, I interviewed or... him before it came out, before anyone was even talking about that. I interviewed Colin Trevorrow, and I was like, what the hell's up with that kill? Mm. And, and he was just like, Thought it would be scary if, like, Mm. someone just got really brutally murdered. Mm. But it comes across as, like, punishing her for being on her phone, which seems weirdly judgmental. Anyway, I digress. Jurassic World does two smart things, Mm. as far as I'm concerned. Um, They remember that the appeal of Jurassic Park wasn't just dinosaurs, but the dinosaur-themed amusement park, which sounds like a place we'd all want to go. So... We're going to show you Jurassic Park after it's actually opened and we get to see all the cool stuff that really would have been because if you recall the original, they go by a couple of attractions and they all suck before well, everything breaks down. So we
1: would pr- just wanted... The production d- people... design was really great. We got to see, like, a gift shop. Yeah. There was the, the cafeteria. Like, all
0: that stuff was in the movie. But there's a difference between that and getting to see, like, aquatic dinosaurs jump up and, like... You um, see what I mean? I, I think they showed us they, something they that... They gave the us other, plenty in they, Jurassic Park. Jurassic World showed us something yeah. the other Jurassic Park movies didn't. Mm. So that was, in a, that was yeah. sort of like, oh, interesting, cool. Yeah, that sounds fun. Let's mm. go see mm. this newer version of Jurassic Park where there are but, more dinosaurs. The mm. other thing it did right... Mm massively rip off gremlins 2 yeah for sure well, well it, it's not as funny as gremlins 2 but no. the idea of yeah kind of genetically engineered uh, like making them kind of weird hybrids of mm-hmm. things and having them all fight each other and having it be like sort of like a a, a live corporate mentality yeah, there, there should know.
1: have been like an action like a legit stupid twist like it turns out that big thing that looks like a a raptor is part raptor oh really I didn't see that broadcasted from millions of miles away. I was away.
0: surprised he, that that was a surprise. I just yeah. assumed it. Yeah, yeah. I, you used raptors? Of course they fucking did. You only have
1: ten dinosaurs. They should have gone full stupid. The guys on Red Letter Media suggested they should have just gone like, okay... We needed to use some human DNA, mm-hmm. but the only DNA we could get was, like, Russian mobsters or, or like, Jeffrey Dahmer's brain or here's, something.
0: <laughs> here's something legitimately smart Jurassic World did. Mm-hmm. Uh, they dealt with the feather issue. Oh, there you go. Because like, They got B.D. Wong back. Well, they got B.D. Wong back, one of the scientists in the original film. It was a small role, but they brought him back. And what they did was, because you remember when Jurassic Park came out, the original Jurassic Park... The idea that all dinosaurs had feathers, that dinosaurs were all feathery, mm. uh, was not really widely accepted. It was understood that some dinosaurs had feathers because we'd seen, like, imprints of the Archaeopteryx. But the idea that they all did was unpopular at best or barely even discussed. So they all looked like giant lizard monsters, mm. which is what we had been led to believe. And in the 20, 30 years since, we've come to understand, based on what we know, that dinosaurs probably all had feathers. So they had B.D. Wong explain, listen, we've already genetically screwed up these dinosaurs to make you, them look like it, the pictures. We, they, yeah, they like they had feathers, we didn't want them to have feathers, so we took away the feathers. Like mm. so none of these dinosaurs are actually accurate.
1: It was a good way to cover their butts. It
0: know? was. It was smart. It was a clever bit of writing, I'm not mm. going to lie. Cover your butts. Anyway, anyway, so book so Book of Henry, is there more about Book of Henry? Uh, no, there's okay. Just more. Okay. To of answer this your Book of Henry question, um we we made that bet with each other, and we decided to let each other off the hook. We know a few people were disappointed that we didn't do a commentary track for Book of Henry. Uh, we feel as though we have spared you from having to watch Book of Henry again at all, even with our commentary track, <laughs> or even think about that movie because yeah.
1: it's just repulsive. Um, yeah.
2: yeah, it was
0: bad. I took I took pity on Whitney; he didn't have to do it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you for forgiving me that. Yeah, you would uh, have if... totally made me do Transformers the last night, though. Oh you bet, I'm 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 spiteful AF. I
1: hate that
2: movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh, but Johnny Starlight also goes on saying, also I wanted to make a suggestion for a show for you to cover for your next Patreon subscriber goal. Hmm. Uh or the goal after Batman the Animated Series, which I'm definitely not opposed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, with how much you guys bring up the character of Hannibal Lecter on the Firefly podcast, I would definitely vote for the show Hannibal, but I also would suggest uh, Sci Fi's Battlestar Galactica reboot. Mm. Uh, you previously covered the original show and Galactica 1980 on Cancel Too Soon, and you could do a tie in Cancel Too Soon with the prequel show Caprica, which did only last one
0: season. True. Keep on rocking, Johnny Starlight. Um, um, so, yeah, so we've been. Uh trying to decide, and I think we finally have, but we've been trying to decide now that we met our first ever Patreon goal of having 250 subscribers. Mm. And the reward, the goal, the, the what we would get in return for hitting that number would be we would do the show that we got the most requests for and we'd make it special and we do one podcast per episode of Firefly. And we're doing that right now. And if you're not subscribed to our Patreon, we're already one, like halfway one, through one the dolly, season.
1: Uh, $1 and up gets you all those. $1 dollar and up, that,
0: that gets you a podcast. You get to vote for episodes. It's mm. it, It's... More content That's I hope you like it. Um, And we've had some good response, and that's great. But we're trying to decide what the next uh, uh, goal reward would be. Mm. And so we've talked about a few things, and one of them was Battlestar Galactica, uh, because I'm a fan. Uh, I actually never really got through a lot of Caprica, but the, the Battlestar Galactica reboot is something I'm fond of. We've also talked about things like Doctor Who and Farscape and a few other things. But the thing that we've had the most positive response to is Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. Doing one podcast per episode of Batman the Animated Series and also probably doing Batman Beyond and at least the crossover episodes of Superman. Uh, so that's where we're leaning towards. We're going to make some announcements on our Patreon in the next week or so, because it's the new anniversary of, uh, of our Patreon. So, um, yeah. I, 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 I hope it, you like it and that you, <laughs> you want it. But mm-hmm. um, Bowstar is definitely on our radar, and it is something I would like to do something with in the future, because I haven't revisited it in a while, and I was a huge fan.
1: Yeah, I've, I watched the... the- the original shows, mm-hmm. and I watched the like the pilot, like the big three hour pilot yeah, episode, the backdoor pilot mini series mm-hmm. that they did. Yeah, I game. watched that whole mini series, but I didn't go beyond that. Like,
0: yeah, it I got, it much got, much I like that mini series a lot. It got even, even better. Like after that, that the oh, yeah. first three, four seasons of that show in particular, just awesome. Last season hit some stumbling blocks, but what show doesn't? No, uh, every. Yeah. No no show is perfect all the way through. No, even The Wire, like the last season, you're just sort of just like, this whole serial killer thing's a little forced. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's still amazing, but yeah. Yeah, that, that bit's a little forced. Um, so, yeah, uh, thank you for writing in. And uh, we will take that under advisement, and maybe sometime we'll do something about Star Galactica. Mm. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed. Indeed. Yeah. What's Thank you for the suggestion. And yeah, if you have other suggestions of things you would we, want to see,
1: let us know. Even if we don't read your letter, uh, we will see that you voted we, for it, that there's enthusiasm.
0: We for always it. So, appreciate um, suggestions and we don't always take them. We don't always take them in a decent amount of time. Like yeah. sometimes we do them like a lot later, but we're always interested in suggestions. We do want to do stuff that you think is cool.
2: yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, here's a letter from Kenny. Hi,
1: Kenny. Hi. Uh, hello, Beast and Beauty. Oh, hello. Yeah. Uh, first, I just wanted to say thank you for continuing to do your podcast during this strange, difficult time. I work a so-called essential job that has stayed open during all this, so it's been quite a roller coaster making it day to day. Your channel is one of the ways I cope with everything. It's a reminder of, uh, that the things I love still exist. It's all still out there. Yeah. It's just on hiatus. Um... I listened to The Iron List about the best fantasy movies yesterday and watched several of my favorites, which were Avatar, Big Fish, and the film I wanted to talk about today, which is Terry Gilliam's Tideland.
0: Oh, I've actually never seen Tideland. I have seen Tideland. Okay, let's get to the, let's get to uh, the This letter. is a film
1: that nobody I know has ever seen, and the critical consensus on Rotten Tomatoes is pretty bad. They call it unwatchable. I'm with them. It is. It's, 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 re- it's just gross and repellent, this movie. It's just chaotic and hard, so hard to sit through. I don't even really know what
0: it's about. But go ahead. Okay, uh, and, and
1: yet I have seen it probably ten times and each time find something new to take away. It's a very harrowing story that riffs on Alice in Wonderland with depictions of child endangerment and creepy situations that are truly disturbing. Yeah. Okay. Um... Uh, I'll describe some things later. Um, I definitely understand why it makes people uncomfortable. I had a very traumatic and just plain weird childhood, Mm. and I never found a film that more accurately portrays the way in which a child possesses and survives and uh, processes, excuse me, and survives in difficult circumstances. To me, this film is indeed a masterpiece, but I don't know who could actually who I could actually recommend it to, as it seems to be inaccessible to most people. Mm. Have either of you seen this film, and what do you think of it? Uh, Do you think it's possible for a masterpiece to exist that nobody is able to access and which hardly has broad appeal? Should the accessibility of a piece of art be used to determine its worth? Do either of you have any examples of films which you love that almost nobody else does? Sending good vibes to you both best.
0: Kenny. Um, well, to get to that last part first, mm. um, the idea that a classic needs to be popular, you know, mainstream accessibility, mm. um, is v- is a very popular notion. That's something that I've run into, even very recently I was having a conversation with someone on Twitter, uh, about how how, you know, if a movie is great, a lot of people will like it that's not necessarily true mm. taste in art is very objective one person's masterpiece Su- can be no- what you said objective subjective oh subject sorry yeah. uh, uh, one person's masterpiece could be another person's piece of junk mm. um and this and sometimes this flip-flops over time where movies that were considered absolute trash are later on appreciated as mm. fascinating important very very excellent um I haven't seen Tideland, but I do know that there are films that reflect things that I've personally experienced and other people can't really get on their wavelength. Hmm. Um, I've met people, for example, uh, you know, as I've talked about a lot on the show, I wrestle a lot with depression and anxiety. And one of the best movies that I've ever seen to tackle that is a film called Christine starring Rebecca Hall. It's about uh, the horrifying real life story of news reporter Christine Chivik. And... um that's a movie that I think people who understand depression and anxiety frequently can latch onto and understand and feel very seen, Mm. but it might be a bit alienating to people who don't really understand that. Hopefully it illustrates it in such a way that maybe they'll learn a bit more about that, but Mm. it might also just be written off as kind of a bummer, which I think it, too much was I mean that should have been she should have at least been up for best actress that year oh, at the, the Academy Awards at yeah, least I'm... and just people just overlooked it because I think it was just such a downer mm. that people weren't really look, willing to look past here's what this movie that is a huge downer has to say and that actually is important there's no way it's ever going to make a hundred million dollars at the box office but I think the people who see well, that why, and find w- that movie will appreciate it
1: well, why not why, 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 do we, why are we hooked on this notion that the popular things need to be uplifting I mean, look at something like... Uh, there There have been big hits that were kind of downers. Look at something like The Silence of the Lambs. Then it thrills, of the Lambs but, has you know, thrills.
2: It's Silence Lambs has
1: thrills
0: and a bad guy who is defeated at the end.
1: It's also gory and unpleasant. It feels like a funeral.
0: But a horror movie. A mm. horror movie is a little different because a horror movie invites people to process their fear in almost a carnival kind of way. Mm. And... I think, there's, I think people are willing to accept that. But I think mm. just the depressing drama is often a bit of a harder sell unless there is some other aspect of it that is easy to latch on yeah. well, uh, th- well, to. Now, again, it doesn't make it a worse movie at all, mm. but it just means it might be less accessible to mm. a lot of audiences who mm. typically go to movies for entertainment and not necessarily mm. to be challenged. Now,
1: that's a lot of people.
0: We have to admit that.
1: Yeah, uh, Tideland uh, is a story about a young, uh, young girl who's taken... I think essentially, I don't remember, like, the small details, but she's essentially taken, kidnapped by her father, Mm. willingly. She goes with him willingly, and taken out to this uh, cabin out in the middle of nowhere, and she has, like, a really vibrant imagination and puts, like, doll heads on her fingers and talks to them, and Mm -hmm. she's always, like, really upbeat and really in a good mood, and there's uh, like this very small community of people and she ends up falling in with this mentally challenged man and ends up like in this really uncomfortable sexual situation with him. Uh, meanwhile, dad is just like taking drugs and getting drunk and there's also a taxidermist around and you know that somebody's going to be taxidermied by the oh, end of this movie. Okay. Uh, and, uh, well, that sounds most disturbing. And it's made by Terry Gilliam, who is not known for his like Stead, thoughtful filmmaking. He's known for People... pushing your face right into a garbage disposal of chaos, which can be good and bad. Uh, can we?
0: Can you? If you ever write a book about Terry Gilliam's film, can you call it "Pushing Your Face into a Garbage Disposal of Chaos"? <laughs> Absolutely, I can. It's a great
1: title, and boy, will that sell. I've, I've seen most of his movies, and that's pretty accurate. Yeah, um, you're wrong. Like The Fisher King is like maybe the one exception. Um, uh, kind
0: of. Mm. I think Baron Munchausen has some upbeat stuff by the but end, but it, it's
1: it's also pretty. It's like a whirly gig movie. Just well, everything's Everything. Fisher King has a mass around. murder
0: in it. Like there's, they're all. Yeah, they're all films that have a lot of depressing. It's not like elements. a centerpiece, though. It's that that film's mostly conversation. Even if you look at something really mainstream, he did like uh, The Brothers Grimm, which I don't entirely dislike. It's, uh, it's functions. It, but it, it, it's it is what it is. It's it's a dark fairy tale kind of action horror mm-hmm. hybrid, uh, but like there's just unnecessary bits. Or just like wow, that was. Really unnecessarily violent. You did not have to go there. And you just jumped in with both feet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: so, yeah, you're, you're watching this uh, unpleasant place about people who are constantly th- threatening each other and harming each other and are just not well in the head. And mm. it's just not exciting for me. Yeah. Uh, I, I watched it and I was just completely repelled. I'm, I'm, I, I apologize, Kenny, but I am... Yeah. Uh, we have to be on, on the side of most of the critics on this one. Um, However, that doesn't mean that you're
0: necessarily yeah. wrong. Art is subjective. And if mm. you see in a movie something that we don't, if something means something to you for personal reasons, or even if that's just your wavelength, mm. that is not make it a bad movie. That is, that is just... I don't care how many people have at one opinion, it's still only one opinion. Yeah. Um, so if you, if you like it, good on you. Like at least in theory, I haven't seen it. Maybe I'd agree with Whitney. Maybe I'd agree with you. But but I, I good on you, man. I,
1: I do want to briefly address uh, the, what, the the notion you brought up that something that first of all, how, how do you def- what is even a classic? It's so so. It's a movie an arbitrary. To, I think it's a uh, movie that leaves a cultural imprint. I suppose so, but at the same time, if if you're looking for just sort of great works of art, mm-hmm. they can be popular or unpopular. Agreed. Uh, popularity should not enter into it. Is is my theory? I think now, if you so are, popu- I think a movie can be so popular.
0: I think a movie can be so popular that even if we don't think it's good, we still have to reckon with its influence.
1: We can reckon with its influence, but yeah. we don't necessarily have to recognize it as a masterpiece or That's a great true, work of art.
0: I don't think those are necessarily um, the same things. I
1: mean, you know, bring up Birth of a Nation for going to say. Oh well, yeah, um,
0: of course. And, and I feel cinema. like
1: the, this idea that we have to create some sort of permanent, solid. Canon of films for the sake of posterity mm-hmm. is a notion we know it's fun to have that around, but we need to let go of it with the death grip we've been
0: gripping onto it. Mm-hmm. With. We need to um, let movies go every once yeah. in a while listen some classic movies will will probably retain their power over the years. Mm-hmm. Some don't Some Our cultural attitudes change Or our tastes change It is I know we live in the age Of the hot take Where it's like oh, Maybe Steven Spielberg's Only made bad movies You ever think of that? you need to give me a lot more than that if you're going to get me on board with that statement, but it can happen. And we can Mm. look back and say, hey, listen, we have been accepting that... Perfect example, Gone with the Wind. For decades, many decades, people accepted that Gone with the Wind was a cinema classic. Why? It was enormously popular. It was a huge hit. It was an incredible production. I think, uh, certainly in a vacuum, we can appreciate the production design and the 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 cinematography and the music. There are elements that are certainly of very high quality. However... It's also spectacularly racist. And I think it's okay to say that Gone with the Wind may have an important place in history. Gone with the Wind may even be worth studying in some regards. It's also okay to say maybe Gone with the Wind shouldn't be considered a classic anymore. Mm. That's a fair argument to say. Yes, and I think we can it? apply mm. that to other movies even with less extreme critiques. Yeah, and just else? say, hey, listen, maybe we shouldn't care. This is the reason why Sight and Sound is a new best pictures ever made. Mm. Poll every ten years. Because it changes got to, got to reconsider the, those the top things, 10 so. is usually pretty similar mm. but we the order can change and new movies can get added to the list and things can drop off the list altogether it's really interesting to see how that changes over time mm.
1: But yeah the, the idea that uh, we we need to think of films in t- in terms of whether or not they should be canonized is something we can just put aside i don't think it's important um, th- well it's something
0: that we, need, we should talk about great movies that we love and that should have an impact, but it's not. We shouldn't just keep them in the canon just because they have been. We,
1: we should talk about great movies, not the greatest movies. Mm. Just to to put a little bit of a a,
0: a spin on that. I, there's a semantics thing in there, but I can mostly agree with that. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Like th- this movie
0: is great, great. Period. That's all you need to say. Yeah. Greatest. That's that's, does, taking does a, it, hold on, that's taking a subjective opinion and making it so subjective that it might not actually do anyone any good yeah. unless you really put a lot of stock in the person's opinion saying it. Yeah. Hence, side and sound poll where they mm. get filmmakers and film critics yeah. from all over the world. But even then, you can decide for yourself whether or not they're right. That's mm. your opinion. Let's move on. Uh, Here's a letter from Zach. Hi, Zach. Hi, Zach. Uh,
1: Hey, Sir Bibbs and Sir Whitney. Well, we haven't been knighted yet, but... uh, Give us time. The the day is young. Uh, I recently watched Onward on Disney Plus with my girlfriend, and I loved the movie, and it made me cry. Oh, that's nice. Pixar does that. Uh, The story of these two brothers hit me very close to home, as I have a very strong bond with with my little brother, and the connection of the two brothers reminded me of the journey he and I went on... uh, Went on to form our connection hmm. without the magic spells, of course. Yeah. And the movie movie had me bawling. I was wondering if there are any movies that never fail to make you cry.
0: Ah, mine being "It's
1: a Wonderful Life." As soon as George mm. starts cheering that he's alive, the tears start rolling. That's that's I, one uh, of them. That's a good one. I even have the message from Clarence to George tattooed on me.
0: That's uh, lovely. Thanks so love for that. all you do.
1: Sorry if this rambled a bit. No, no
0: okay. No, see, now really that's really. an <laughs> example of a classic right there. You want to have that tattooed on you? That's <laughs> that's a movie that might earn classic status. Mm-hmm. Um, movies that never fail to. make us cry. I want to make something. I, I think when I was growing up, there was still a bit of a stigma about men crying in movies. It was seen as something that was mildly embarrassing. Uh, I hope we're past that now. I cry in movies all the time. Mm-hmm. If a movie ha- is successfully emotional, I will cry, even if I don't like it very much. Here's a movie I've, that makes. I've, cr- me, I've cried at movies I don't like. Here's yeah. a movie that made me that makes me cry every single time, mm-hmm. and I don't like the movie, Forrest Gump. <laughs> Forrest Gump can do it, can yeah. Gump. Here's the thing about For- Forrest Gump: it's an impressive technical accomplishment. No denying that. Forrest Gump is also a. <sighs> A very judgmental view of American history. And there are things that it likes and there are things that it doesn't like. And the, the things you know, that it doesn't like are hmm. are hippies yeah. and the, people the, who the hippies, are abused yeah. and have and have actually like have a hard time while yeah. while Forrest Gump is succeeding in capitalist endeavors and going yeah. off to the war and becoming a hero. Like people who actually have it rough, Forrest Gump doesn't like them. The hippies were wrong. Vietnam was a good war. <laughs> I, I mean, that's a slight exaggeration, yeah. but that's kind of how it feels.
1: I have problems um, with Forrest Gump, Newt, however. Newt Gingrich screened Forrest
0: Gump oh during like Republican rallies and stuff. It doesn't surprise me at mm. all. Um, it's, I, can, I consider it a very conservative movie to the extent that, yeah, I'm, I like, there are other conservative movies that I like, but this one's to the extent that I find it a little, little off-putting and I just don't care for it. Mm. Um, what I do love about Forrest Gump is everything Gary Sinise does. Okay. Gary Sinise's character in Forrest Gump, when he he you know if you remember the movie he everyone in his family had died during a war mm. and he realized this is my war i'm going to die in vietnam that's what i'm here to do that was my destiny mm. and he would have if forrest gump hadn't saved him and there's a scene where they're in like their hospital beds after they get back And Lieutenant Dan Drags Forrest Mm. Gump Down to the floor And cries and says You should've let me die Mm. That gets me Every time (laughs) Because Gary Sinise Sells that Mm. shit So I don't actually Like the movie But god that one works uh, it's Wonderful Life is another one. Mm. Whitney, what, what other ones hit you? Uh, Big Fish gets me each time yeah, at the God. end, where he's running his dad to the ocean. It's like, oh, oh. he's running his dad to the ocean. It's like, okay, Big Fish is okay. And and, like, oh, my yeah. God. I like Big Fish. I like it's, Big Fish. It's,
2: mm.
0: A part of me thinks it didn't need to be as fantastical as it is in order to get to its well, points, but who cares? Don't hire It's so, then, uh, no, it's yeah. so good. Uh, um, yeah, Big Fish is a really good one. Mrs. Um, Miniver. Always makes you cry. Oh, my <laughs> God. The ending of Mrs. Miniver. I I'm not going to ruin it for you, because it, it didn't end where I thought it was going to end. Um, if you haven't seen it, Mrs. a story about a British family during the Blitz in World War II was made during World War II. It's basically a propaganda film, but it's an exceptionally good one. And it was one of the it was actually one of the key things that swayed American opinion saying, hey, we should get involved in World War Two on the European front. Mm. Because oh my God, Mrs. Miniver is so sad. Those people are going through so much right now. Um, re- it's a great movie. I love mm. it, and yeah, it makes me cry every single time. Mm. Um, what else? Uh, I only I've only seen it twice. Uh, I saw I've
1: seen it three times, but it made me cry like yeah. a, a, a a little baby each time, and it was it was the wrestler.
0: Oh um, yeah,
1: the, the, the wrestler is just. Like, from the scene where he punches the, the slicer all the way to the end, it's like, oh, God, this oh is, God. oh, no. His life is falling apart, but he's finally getting his dignity back. This hurts so much. I'm a man.
0: <laughs> if, uh,
1: if you want to make a dude cry. Yeah. Uh, we were doing our uh, our... We've been doing Only the Best, which we've been reviewing all of the films that have been oh nominated for Best
0: Picture God, uh, I know what you're in, in Academy history. And The Champ. The Champ. <laughs> the Even champ? the remake of The Champ with John Voigt is pretty good. Yeah. The original's better, but if you can only get the remake, it will also make you cry your yeah. eyes out. <laughs> if you haven't seen The Champ, it's a story about a down on his luck boxer who's also a single parent and he's got this precocious little boy falling around. And he's and also k- an alcoholic. And yeah. the kid thinks his dad is a champ. Mm. He is not. And it goes real bad. Mm. (laughs) But it is beautiful. And Jackie Cooper's performance at the end of the original The Champ Mm. is one of the great performances. Mm. Period. He's like nine. (laughs) He's amazing Mm. in it. And calls the dead, champ, champ, wake up, champ. <laughs> oh god, no. Yeah. <laughs> so sad. Oh my god. Oh, I, remember, I just had one. Oh. I remember
1: talking about Toy Story Three with Alonzo Doral. Yeah, and, that's and a he, good
0: one. And he was brought to tears just
1: describing the
0: movie. The minute the minute in Toy Story Three where they all think they're gonna die and they just accept it, that kills me. Th- that, that kills me. That part didn't kill me. What killed me was
1: actually the scene later, because this oh, is something you can relate to, is is when he's finally giving his toys away.
0: Yeah, that's sweet.
1: Um Toy Story, I saw Toy Story 3, um, where did I see Toy Story? I think I saw it at a screening, but uh, a friend of mine worked at The Regent, which is mm-hmm. now called the Landmark Westwood here in uh, Westwood, California, yeah. which is right next to UCLA, which means it's always full of college students and... Toy Story 3 is about how Andy, the owner of all the toys, Mm. is turning 18 and he's going away to college for the first time and he has to give up all his toys and become a grown-up for the first time. And it's really Mm. heart-wrenching. It's a beautiful scene where he's just handing off all his toys and he picks up and this one's brave and this one's braver. (laughs) Imagine being in a theater full of 18-year-old boys who probably just did that like a couple weeks ago. (laughs) Um, yeah, th- that that one just broke every audience
0: that went in to see it at that uh, particular theater. A Monster Calls. I know that mm-hmm. Whitney doesn't care for this one; he finds it a bit saccharine. But it did make me cry. Yeah, but I, I, I don't like the movie. A Monster Calls uh, came out like maybe within a year after my dad died, and yeah, it was yeah, such yeah. a really I understood everything it was saying about grief, and I cried so hard in the theater that the next day someone saw me and asked if I was all right. Oh. <laughs> so that's definitely yeah. another one of them. Um, God. There's so many. Um, Searching for Bobby Fisher, mm. my favorite movie. Uh, that makes me cry every single time when uh, Joe Mantegna has completely lost his way and his like love for his uh, chess genius son mm. has turned him into like the worst kind of shitty like sports parent mm. where he cares more about his son's talent than he does about his son. Oh god, that fucking kills me. Oh that. Oh okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Mm. And others as well. Um, I think it's really important that movies can make us cry. Mm. I think it's important catharsis. I think it is uh, important to know that other people can make you do that. Mm. People you don't know Mm. can have stories and thoughts that are so powerful that they make us weep. Yeah, I think it's great. And I I sometimes avoid movies that I think will make me cry, if I can, because Mm. I'm depressed enough as it is, and sad is sad, (laughs) but... When it's good, it's so damn good.
1: I've I've always found the the more profound experience is when somebody understands your nightmares, mm. uh, when when somebody understands what makes you afraid to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's just as an intense an emotional experience. Maybe it just says something about my life experience <laughs> or my soul. But oh, uh, we all have our th- Those we? are the kinds of things
0: that you know. I I really kind of get higher I'm always interested Mm. in because everyone has a taste in escapist entertainment whether you like light comedies or action movies or horror movies like movies that allow you to just blow off steam we all like movies like that I'm always curious about what your favorite type of movie that isn't escapism that you know is putting you through the ringer in some way but you need it Mm. and for some people that's sports movies for some people that's serious family dramas for some people that's romances yeah, <laughs> I'm just I, I'm always I'm always fascinated.
1: Okay. All right, All right uh, let's move on. Here's a letter from Musa. Hello, Musa. Hi, um, Musa. Uh, what is up, bibs, uh, bibs and wits? I hope you guys are staying safe during this weird time. My we question doing per- our best. My pre- question pertains to violence in movies. Okay. And whether you two feel that violence has been a little too normalized in cinema to the point where we can watch superheroes and PG-13 action heroes use violence as a mean to an end and we just accept it as is. Hmm. When Thor beheads Thanos in Avengers Endgame, we just take it in stride and don't even think twice. Just to use a recent example. It's true.
0: He executes him. Yeah. For no reason. Oh, okay, okay, hang on. Okay, we can disapprove of him executing him. It was not for no reason. He killed literally half of the universe. To be fair, but That's what is sh- what is killing Thanos going to do? I know, I know, no, it's Listen, half I, of the universe plus one. I agree with you, <coughs> oh. but. It wasn't for no reason. Okay. Fine. If you believe in the death penalty, that's as, that's probably I, the I best so, possible yeah. example of it.
1: Um, I ask because uh, what have, what has been going on with Disney Plus and the slight alterations they've been making to movies that might be a little too sexual for their target demo, mm-hmm. such as with Splash adding CGI hair <sighs> so we don't see too much of the mermaid's butt, along with small edits to the Avatar hair sex scene. Oh, uh. I hadn't, hadn't heard about that one. Oh, yeah.
0: They, t- they changed that one, oh, too. gosh.
1: And other... It's the hair. It's this fantasy. Anyway. I,
0: it's, um, look, it's sexual. It's sexual. I get it. Mm. And I'm actually glad someone finally agrees with me that Mm. that's weird and kinky. Uh, It is the way they have sex. It is. uh, People don't talk about that. I'm like, this is how we have sex. It's also how we train our dragons. mm -hmm. Um, Hello. Is anyone going to come? I'm watching this the first day in a theater and I'm like, no one's going to talk about this, huh? (laughs) This is kind of weird.
1: I'm I'm going (laughs) to shove my thing in a tree. Um, Yeah. What? Yeah. it's weird. And uh, add to the fact that they moved Love, Simon, the TV show, to Hulu because it wasn't family friendly. It's it's like the safest thing. It just has gay characters. Mm-hmm. That's just I, hom- actually, I actually still haven't seen that one. That's just homophobia at work. And... Uh, and- They fired the showrunner of the Lizzie McGuire revival for the same reason. It was too adult. Mm -hmm. Uh, These things just got me to think about what we consider family-friendly and why mild sexual things are too risque, while superheroes beating each other senseless for two hours is totally fine. Anyways, thanks you for the endless content. It has provided me with an expanded vocabulary on how you like to think about movies and stories in general. You guys are awesome. Well, thank
0: you. Thank you for that. Uh, To answer your question, um, hypocrisy is the answer (laughs) you're looking for. Uh, For many, many years, Hollywood, whether it was in The Hays Code... Uh, when the studios were self-censoring themselves, Mm -hmm. or whether it's with the Motion Picture Association of America, when studios would do anything to get a marketable rating, uh, even dramatically change and even ruin their movies, um, we, in the industry, we have long policed sexual content more stringently Mm -hmm. than we have violence. Because, for whatever reason, it's more acceptable to have someone shoot a hundred bad guys but we just don't happen to see any blood Mm -hmm. than it is to see two naked people kiss. Mm. Now, I understand that people have different levels of things that they are concerned about their family and their kids uh, uh, being exposed to in art. Mm. I even appreciate that depending on your views, you may be particularly interested in making sure that uh, people in your family are uh, you, you don't want them to get messages you disapprove of yeah i can appreciate that but it is interesting that we are so eager to like just sort of roll with a superhero executing a guy without due process and not see a small part mm-hmm. of daryl hannah's butt and splash Amen. if you see the original shot in splash you see nothing yeah, you see, you the, see nothing. You see the bottom third of her buttocks. That's yeah. kind of it. Yeah. If, if she was wearing short shorts, you get just as much. It's ludicrous that they added that. Like, absolutely ludicrous. Like, And it was a bad effect, oh, too. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. I mean, it's brief, thank God. But, like, it doesn't look convincing. And it's over nothing. It's not even mm-hmm. nudity. Well, it's it's a little bit of nudity, but it's not, like, it's, it's sexual implied nudity. nudity. It's implied nudity. It's, it's yeah. not actual nudity. There's nothing in there. Mm-hmm. I, I watched the clip, the original clip. It's not even risque. Yeah, it's 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 the same as if you're wearing a swimsuit, man. It's like nothing. Yeah, I've I've
1: come out against a certain kind of violence in movies before. Now, I want to say as clearly as I possibly can, I don't mind violence. In fact, I love it in movies. In movies, that is clear. Uh, I, I don't mind. I don't like violence in real life, but nope. I love violence in movies. I, that that Evil Dead remake where somebody gets a chainsaw shoved for, like for, like tip first into somebody's face Uh that's awesome
0: i saw i just saw quentin tarantino uh, get impaled through the eye in planet terror and i was like yay like planet terror i just rewatched it today it's so damn violent and very fun
1: yeah so on screen violence is fine if it's wielded correctly The, the kind of violence i object to is not the violence itself it's the idea that the violence might be conveying and I feel that there are a lot of action movies that try to normalize violence as a, a solution to problems. Yeah. Uh, and this is something we get... Now, when you're dealing in sort of like a, a like a fantasy territory, like superheroes, it might not be as bad. Maybe. But at the same time, people take those movies really, really seriously. Well, they they get are
0: really involved in, like, the plight of those characters. I think the way that our aspirational heroes... Not every hero is aspirational. Hmm. But I think when you put a superman cape on somebody and then you show him killing people Mm. it's different than if the punisher does it yeah i think if you show captain america killing i mean world war ii is different you know it's a period piece i i I would argue that the context is already there but i would argue outside of that context seeing captain america kill people was a little different um it's interesting that we have acceptable levels of violence. Mm. Like, if, if you
1: saw a Captain America movie, like, yeah. think back to the Joe Johnson film, the yeah. Captain America film, and it shows him in in World War II, like, actually killing Nazis. He's shooting a gun. But it's, but it's as violent as Hacksaw Ridge. See, that's, see, that's why, a little why different. Is, why
0: is that too far? I mean, because, it's the same violence. Because, here's here's why I think it's too far, wow. and, and we can have a debate over whether superhero movies are allowed to jump out of this box or not, mm. but... When you have an aspirational hero like Superman or Captain America, someone mm. whose supposed values to are supposed—someone yeah. whose values are supposed to be something we can get behind—and mm. you show them casually killing people or killing people without consequence or even consideration, that sends an awkward message. I think it sends a bad message. Mm. Um, if you want to do a dark story about superheroes, that's fine, but you have to, you know, decide... Watch, watch Super at some yeah, point, like yeah. You have to decide what messages you want to send, what context you want to send, mm. and sometimes it's in good taste. There's a lot of very violent superhero movies that I like a lot. Mm. Sometimes it's in poor taste, because I don't think this is what the target demo really needs right now. Maybe that's me. That's my interpretation, but... A case in point here, and something I've talked about, uh, we recently passed the one-year anniversary of Avengers Endgame. Mm. And people were oh, talking oh, about Oh, golly, it. I have problems with that one. I know. people. I've, I've, but pe- I've been very vocal about people it. People <laughs> were talking about it online, and uh, mostly it was in pretty positive terms. Like, hey, remember, I know we're all socially isolating right now, but like, remember how a year ago we all got to go together and see the conclusion to this big story? together and mm. experience these big moments together and wasn't that a nice theatrical experience mm. and the answer to that is yes mm. that's great that's the best possible thing but i saw someone point a thing like and remember this is the year one year ago today that tony Stark gave his life to save the universe and i said stop right there <laughs> because yeah okay he's he, he he stopped Thanos. um i still take issue with that ending I don't think that's a particularly heroic thing to do. First
1: of all, they had already saved the universe. Yes, of course. Everyone was back at that point.
0: Yeah. And listen, we had to keep the, the gauntlet from Thanos and we had to win the war against his, his army and everything like that. There were immediate concerns of violence. Hmm. However, at the end of the movie and Hey, listen, we're talking about the end of Avengers Endgame. It's the most, it's the most popular popular movie movie ever made. I assume you've seen it or you would have seen it by now if you were super interested. So we're going to talk about the ending. Um, at the end, Tony Stark takes the Infinity Gems off of the gauntlet, puts it on his Iron Man suit gauntlet, mm. and says, I am Iron Man. And he snaps his fingers, and a whole lot of people die. <laughs> and and committed mass murder. Basically yeah. committed yeah, mass yeah. murder. Now, I think that the ending, a good ending, mm. for a character who in the first film learned that his propensity for violence, his propensity for creation of weapons of mass destruction, his use of weapons of mass destruction, have brought the world nothing but pain. I think a guy who tried to use his incredible intelligence to create a weapon of mass destruction that would save the world again when he created Ultron and learned a valuable lesson about why that was stupid, a guy who betrayed his own friends in order to... Uh, try to create a world in which superheroes were culpable and actually res- held responsible for when they did things that were outside the law. Maybe shouldn't end his story by wielding omnipotent, godlike power. He, for a moment, he was gone. He was. He could literally do anything. And the only thing, a guy who is allegedly the smartest person in the universe. And someone took me to task mm. and said... What about Shuri from Black Panther? He's one of the two. Okay, fine. He's one of the, regardless, (laughs) really fucking smart. The only thing he could think to do was kill. I don't think that's a really good message of heroism. I think there's so many other ways you could have ended it. His story began with a, a
1: mission of disarmament. Yeah. He realized that the weapons he made were hurting the world, and by the end, all he could think was, I have godlike powers, I have this widget that will yeah. let me do anything, and I'm going to use it as a weapon to kill thousands at once. And
0: and people have said a lot of things hmm. in response to that. I was got into a lot of trouble on Twitter, where people yeah, were well, saying... I've, 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 I've been saying this since the movie came out. I know, so, but, yeah. but, and me too. Hmm. Uh, and people were saying, like, hey, listen, Doctor Strange said... There was only one way to save the universe uh, Doctor Strange didn't say that, the screenwriters did <laughs> And I like the screenwriters, I've interviewed them several times I think mm. they've written some good screenplays But I take issue with this um, You write that idea in That there's only one chance in millions mm. To defeat Thanos For two reasons One, suspense mm. Oh, it's going to be so hard to defeat Thanos yeah. It works well, And two, at
1: the same time, so that
0: any yeah. decision you made Cannot be argued with Well, it's mm. the only way it could have worked well, what was the odds? We have like one
1: in 14 billion or something a million, like that? 14 I million, yeah. yeah. I, I just looked in the future and there's only one path out. And that didn't create more tension for me. It's like, well, just do that one. You found
0: one. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually do agree with that. Like, I think that's the other well, way of looking at it. Well, you, clearly
1: if, this is it. If you said I looked at 14 million and there's not a way out of this, we have to think of something new I, I, beyond these 14
0: million Possibilities. Yeah. like You're right. That would have been better. But he found one. It's like. So, so this must be it. So just do that. <laughs> I assume that's what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. You're right. That does actually take a bit mm. of the edge off. But I think some people interpret that as a lot of tension. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the whole Dr. Strange said there's only one way to do it. Whatever. However, they ended the movie. Could have been that way. That yeah. was that way. It's not like it's on a documentary. <laughs> like they just, they just did that to, just as they, a screenwriting device. And it's a clever device, but mm-hmm. they did it as a screenwriting mm-hmm. device. Um, and the other thing that I've heard people say is oh, what? Oh, I'm sorry. He killed all these bad guys who were going to kill, and that's bad? Yes. Yes, it's bad. <laughs> and some people even said, oh, are you going to. You, you're saying this after Thor decapitated Thanos? Mm. Thor shouldn't have done that either. <laughs> I know Thor is pissed. Thanos killed half his people. You know what's more heroic? Not killing! Taking him to task. Yeah. yeah. Now listen, if you want to have a violent superhero movie, that's fine. I love Punisher Warzone. <laughs> Punisher Warzone is a blast. Yeah, I, I even <laughs> love the Dolph Lundgren Punisher. My point is this. That's not what these movies have been. These movies have been about heroism and people Almost trying to... Ostensibly, yeah. Ostensibly trying to better themselves and dealing with moral uh, and and ethical issues that are really, really tricky. And... Sometimes making mistakes. I'm okay with making mistakes. I'm even okay with Tony Stark making a mistake. It's, but what's weird is that we're not allowed to say it. It's like Tony, Tony Stark's last action last act, was a mistake. And yeah. I think his second to last action was a mistake, too, because what did he do after killing all those people when, again, he had could do literally anything... He, he gave weapons of mass destruction to a kid. <laughs> that, yeah, and, and after he was dead, we learned
1: that he had made more weapons of mass destruction. He learned and just
0: even less. Gave
1: them to a teenager. Golly, what a, what a horrible way to end that series. And then people uh, ask
0: me, like, oh, well, what could he have done? He had godlike powers. He Here are do, some of the yeah. things he could have done. He could have, tur- he could have turned Thanos into a living butter sculpture for all he wanted. <laughs> well, that would be dead.
1: While he's living, I, I said living. But then I
0: still think that's a problem. He's going to melt um, on a summer I'm day. Ground. Oh, I'm made of butter. Shit, <laughs> I'm not sure that's yeah. the best example here. But here's some of the things. Okay. Uh, here's some of the things he thing could have done. Man, teleport them to another dimension. Yeah, they could live there out their whole Te- days where they're the only them. living things in that dimension.
1: Teleport done. them to a, another dimension where uh, they think they've won. Ooh, wipe that's their, a fun wipe one. Wipe their minds, put them in a pocket dimension. They think they've won, and that's that's that. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a great idea. Uh, uh, Thanos
1: can create his own universe as much as he wants, and he's in prison, and he's okay.
0: How about this? He has the
1: mind gem. Mm -hmm.
0: Change Thanos' mind. Yeah.
1: Give Thanos the capacity for shame. Stop time for literally centuries and talk to Thanos.
0: I like that. That's a very Doctor you, you, Strange ending, you, you, but I like can, it.
1: You can't age. We're stuck here together. It's our it's our job to talk each other into these things.
0: I like it. I like it. It's they, a, it's a little thin. We need they, to come up they, with more details, but just, that's a good like, slurt, a good thought there. Slurp
1: pop. They pop back in. Thanos is a skeleton. Mm-hmm. Tony Stark's an old man. It's like, "And I talked him out of it." You know, mm. it took, took that much diplomacy.
0: There you go. You yeah. Know. There's That would have been a great ending. There's a ton of different stuff here. Mm. I firmly believe mm. the best ending to Man of Steel the best ending to Man of Steel. Man of Steel. The Yeah, because it's another one where people mm. really took issue with the morality of its oh, ending. And... Where not only did Superman decide the only way to stop Zod was to kill him, which I'm a little mm. sympathetic to that because human lives were immediately in danger. Mm. I'm a little sympathetic to that. He could have flown to outer space, but whatever. Uh, and I, even at the time when the movie came out we had a debate about the ending of, the, of Man of Steel where we were talking about how oh look at all this devastation in Metropolis and my theory was it's a comic book movie mm. maybe it was mostly evacuated and actually it wasn't that bad and it was just structural damage and then mm-hmm. sure enough Batman v Superman doubled down and said no Superman killed a lot of people Yeah, well, and so also, I, was taking, I was giving the movie too much credit and a lot of people well not well, a lot of people but some people have said well you, maybe yeah. Tony Stark didn't kill all of them we don't know that until they tell us and if they tell us that okay I'm going to tell you that right now. Fine. But at the end of Man of Steel, I firmly believe the best ending to Man of Steel is not a huge fight between Superman and Zod. Mm. Superman stops Zod from terraforming the Earth. He has mm. sent all the Kryptonians back to the Phantom Zone or whatever. I forget the whole details. And it's just Superman and Zod. Mm. And they're facing off. And they're looking at each other. And Zod is pissed.
1: Well, because, but, Z- but Zod only had one option because we actually knew his mission statement going in. Yeah. And his mission statement was to protect Krypton. Yes. And guess what Krypton is now? Krypton is just Superman now. So if, if all of his armies are wiped out yep, and there's only one Kryptonian left and he's protecting Earth, Zod should have immediately, without even thinking about it, said, I'm now your
0: ally. He, well, he, I'm, I think I'm, he's allowed like, to have a speech, maybe mm-hmm. well, like a bit of a misdirect where you think he's going to fight him. Yeah. And then what he says is, yeah, well, I, I was born for only one reason, to protect Krypton, mm-hmm. and I'm going to do whatever it takes. And then he gets down on one knee and swears fealty to Superman. Yeah, that should have been it. And Superman says, you've done horrible things and we're going to go to jail. And Zod says, I will willingly go to jail. Like, that's, because you're my lord, Because yeah. that's what he, that's his definition, that's his stated purpose. And boy, would have that been a great ending. It would have been mm. surprising, it would have been satisfying. You could have, If you still want the fight between Superman and Zod, just put it earlier.
1: Take, take it, yeah, just or, put it earlier. Or, take, or do what they did in Superman 4. Put it on the moon. Would, it better this time. Yeah, I don't
0: know. Like, There's a ton of different things he could have done. And I know someone's like, oh, that wouldn't be satisfying. You know what's satisfying? A good ending. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I know you want giant fights, but sometimes not a fight. Well, what, you know what's one of the most satisfying confrontations between hero and villain ever? Hmm. Princess Bride. <laughs> we're, to we're, the pain. Yeah. Without going into more detail, just in case anyone's young and hasn't seen it, that is one of the great endings. Just the it sets tor- everything aright. Like threatening each other without a fight. But it is not a huge sword fight, and well, it there, works.
1: There's, there's still a sword fight between uh, Count, <laughs> Count, Count Rogan and yeah, Rugen. Toy, but, Rugen yeah. but that's a different thing. Hmm. That we, we had the action... Yeah, we don't need another one. The, the other point, one's the the pointless. Point. We got action in there. My favorite uh, recent mm. blockbuster mm. that inverts everything. The mm. biggest scene, the biggest action scenes are right at the beginning, uh-huh. and the climax has three characters in a quiet hallway in the basement of a hospital. And it's World War Z.
0: Oh, um, I thought you were going to say Rogue Nation. Which oh, also well, has, Na- a really quiet, which too, has a really quiet, which surprisingly like these, muted these, like, ending. really
1: quiet climaxes are just as satisfying. Yeah, like there's uh, a lot of tension in the climax of
0: Mission Impossible: yeah, like, Rogue it, Nation, wo- but they're, it, the yeah. biggest action sequences at the beginning. Yeah, World War Z actually
1: like shrinks as it goes, and it still feels like it's building. It's That's really like it opens with like millions of people or yeah. zombies are stacking on top of each other so they can climb over walls and stuff, and there's a lot of special effects. And then yeah, they have to find the cure but it's in the basement of a hospital and there might be three or four zombies down there. Mm-hmm. And the Brad Pitt character has to sneak down there and like hide from the zombies <laughs> and take it and go back out and it's really tense. Yeah. And it's I, a perfectly satisfying way to climax the movie. I
0: agree. There's tension can come from more than violence. I think mm. another great point here is the end of Revenge of the Sith where it's a huge fight between Obi-Wan oh, Kenobi and Anakin yeah. Skywalker. I wanna see them fight. I want to see them fight when they're young, mm-hmm. when you know they're 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 spry, when they're as powerful as they're ever gonna be. I do want to see that fight. I don't want it to go on for 20 goddamn minutes and they're jumping on robots and skiing over lava. I am not invested in that fight sequence because you're gonna do a bunch of cool choreography. I'm in it for the characters. Mm-hmm. The best I still think the best fight scene in all the Star Wars movies is the end of Return of the Jedi because it's emotionally charged because I really care about Luke fighting his father. I don't care about Obi-Wan fighting Anakin. And that should be all I care about right now, (laughs) even though I know the ending, like it should be this sort of Greek tragedy kind of Mm. feeling. And they go so overboard with the choreography. They go so overboard trying to make it this big epic action packed finale that it falls really flat for me. Mm. And I can only kind of appreciate it conceptually. So violence in movies, there's a place for violence in movies. There's a lot excuse me, there's a lot of places for violence in movies. Violence should not be our default. Mm. Violence should not just be the thing we do. Violence yeah. should be something we do when it's appropriate for the scene. And sometimes when you're dealing with stories about people who are heroes, violence is a terrible way to handle yeah. a scene.
1: And um, th- there are some uh, like actors like quote action heroes that I've for some reason made like concessions for. Mm. Indiana Jones murders a lot of people that's heroic. Uh. Well they're Nazis. Yeah, to be fair... Mostly they're, they're Nazis. Nazis, yeah. especially in that third one. Where, uh, yeah. Well, it's actually World War
0: II and shit. Yeah, well, it's, it's just before, but
1: like, yeah. Yeah, right before World War II, there's actually Nazis in actual uniforms. Hitler is in the movie, for goodness sake. Yep. Uh, he doesn't kill Hitler. It's not that kind of movie. But, no. Uh, but he gets his autograph.
0: It's such a weird scene. It's, it's, I love that scene, but it's, that's it's, such a it's, weird it's a, scene. It's a
1: strange scene, but it's, it's, it's actually really funny. It's um, very very effective. A, the funniest Hitler scene you'll ever see. Um, mm. uh, outside of the producers, perhaps. Um, but... And, yeah, James Bond is another one, because James, yeah. James Bond... Well, I he's imagine- got license
0: to kill. He's actually, like, if James Bond kills someone, it's mm-hmm. because he has to. That's the implication. Yeah.
1: But you, I- Sometimes I'm that's going- not actually
0: true, but, like, yeah. generally speaking, there's an excuse written into the story.
1: And also, those movies are so cartoony that it's kind of okay to sort of deal with moral absolutes. The problem and, is... And even some of the seen- later ones
0: even take him to task for it and says, you know, you don't have to kill everybody, James.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I kind of sort of do. Um... But yeah, we've seen it so often. Mm-hmm. So many action movies where violence is considered just the
0: logical conclusion, mm-hmm. the expected conclusion. Think of all the people who are mad that Batman has never killed the Joker. No. And listen, you can have a complex conversation about how people that the Joker kills. Mm are kind of on Batman's head because he still doesn't solve the problem of the Joker. Mm. I would argue that killing the Joker does not solve the problem of the Joker. Killing the Joker proves the Joker right.
1: And also doesn't stop anybody else from becoming other Jokers. And yeah. how many people do you kill then?
0: You know, how many yeah.
1: how many other maniacs do you now have license to
0: murder? And it's like, listen, I know it's a never-ending cycle of violence, but you know it's part of the never-ending cycle of violence, more committing viol- violence yeah, in violence. order to stop violence. It, so, yeah, how we using, how we use violence defines a, who we are in a mm-hmm. lot of ways which is what I personally I know this is an issue a lot of people have different views on I'm against the death penalty mm-hmm. because I think it says a lot about us as a mm-hmm. culture that we're okay with killing yeah. under any circumstance especially when we all know that the legal system can be very very flawed and that people can actually be executed and not be guilty. It's, it's also, There's no takebacks uh, on it's that. It's the,
1: the ultimate power that can be abused by yeah. by, by, by corrupt
0: officials in yeah. any, any
1: level of government. Um,
0: yeah, it's something yeah, to certainly I, be I, avoided
1: uh, at all costs. I, yeah, just... Or, I, I, yeah, Not not to alienate everybody, but yes, I strenu- strenuously uh, disapprove of the death, death penalty. I also uh,
0: acknowledge that there is a halfway decent counter-argument to that, and we can have that debate someday, but this is not the form. Mm. We should move on, because I think we've gone down a big old rabbit well, hole.
1: Well, it was a big question. It is a big I think, question. Uh, I just and, don't want to... This idea that, that violence is considered just sort of fun fluff and sex isn't, uh, Yeah. for like like a thirteen year old a thirteen year old knows about sex. I would hope they would know about sex. Well they probably the would they have the gist and age, of it. I imagine, yeah, um, right now, yeah. And like seeing Daryl Hannah's butt is not gonna corrupt anybody. Yeah. No. Seeing a pair of boobs in a movie, it might be a little awkward if your parents are in the room, but mm-hmm. you know, have a conversation about it. Let your kid yeah. know that, you know. That this is how sex is. Have a conversation with your child. I think.
0: I think people always say that we should have a conversation about the sex things to other kid. I think she also have a conversations about the pe- the people they see murdered. Yeah, yeah. And the just violence. Say, listen. This was fun, right, to see all those people uh, murdered in this James Bond movie. Yeah, James Bond's allowed to do that because he's a government agent. Just remember that this is, like, or, every or just, single time this the, is a heightened the, situation. This is a
1: fantasy where, you know, mm-hmm. good bad guys die and good guys kill, but yeah, that's yeah. not the way real world heroes work.
0: Yeah, you know, if, every single person James Bond murdered had a family who misses them right now. Remember yeah, that. yeah. There was actually a joke about that in uh, the first Austin
1: Powers that was cut. Oh yeah. Uh, there was a scene where uh, there's a, a scene where a security guard is saying "No, stop!" while uh, Austin Powers is on a steamroller. Oh yeah. And the steamroller is very slow moving. And of course, the joke is he's not going to move. He just says "No," and it just goes on and on and on. He ends up rolling over the guy and killing him. It is funny. Now, in the original cut, they were actually cutting back for like two groups of that guy's friends, led by Rob Lowe of all people. Oh, my God. Saying, yeah, he's a security guard with Dr. Evil, but he's going to be back for his birthday. And his kid just got out of the hospital. And he's really <laughs> eager to see his dad again because he hasn't seen him for a little while. And he's like, oh, and I. And then they cut back. No! They cut back and I spent all this money on this wonderful gift. It's just the perfect thing. And it's about them getting the call. He would. He died at work today. Oh, no! And everybody's just <laughs> completely torn up by this random character. that got rolled over by a Did you see right?
0: the deleted scenes in Wet Hot American Summer?
1: No, I don't think I did. There's a great
0: scene in White Hot American Summer where someone steals a motorcycle in order to get into a big chase. Mm -hmm. And we've all seen that scene in a movie where someone takes Mm -hmm. a motorcycle or a car or whatever because it's so important to save the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, But after they take the motorcycle, there's a deleted scene where the people who own that motorcycle are like, Hey, a motorcycle! Oh no, that costs so much money. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have good insurance. We're in so much trouble. We could
2: lose the house.
1: So, yeah, these these cavalier things, which are, of course, just fantasies about yeah. you as a viewer fantasizing, living vicariously through them, about just sort of throwing rules to the wind. Yeah. And, okay, I'm frustrated by this problem. I wish I could just kill that guy. Well, now here's a hero in bright-colored spandex, and the mm-hmm. bad guy this time isn't somebody at the DMV. It's a killer robot monster. Yeah. And now you can watch a guy in a colorful outfit rip the head off of a giant robot monster and a little bit of your violent listen, fantasy is saved.
0: And listen, there are certain superhero stories in which the violence that is perpetuated by the hero is sort of representational of an important form of sort of justice. Mm. Um, look at like the exploitation heroes of the 1970s, mm. for example, in which they, yeah, yeah, they, yeah they would use violence, but often that violence would be against corrupt police, for example. Mm.
1: The people that, yeah. b- the, the Deserve audience... Deserve
0: vengeance in some yeah. regard, you know? like really
1: feels a lot of animosity toward and would like yeah. to see violence against, just
0: not in real life. Now, given the tone that some of those movies strike, that works. And mm-hmm. that can be its form of catharsis. But it, you really have to strike the right tone in order to get away with and, it. And please just stop doing it so frequently.
2: Yeah.
0: Anyway, we should yeah. need to move on. All right, uh, here's a letter
1: from Brian. Hi, Brian. Hi, Brian. Um, Hello to Bibbs and El Fabuloso himself, Rockmeister McCool. Oh, go. I'm El Fabuloso. Um, I've been listening to your podcast for over a year now, and I think you guys are the new Siskel and Ebert. Oh, that's very good that's you to
2: say.
0: one of the um, ultimate compliments and yeah. thank uh, you, you. Look at us. We're both just like, no. No, we're not. But I appreciate the compliment, yeah. and it means a lot that you, that you care. Yeah. Thank you so much. I've been waiting to write for some
1: time because of all kinds of reactions to your podcasts, and I can't keep up. You guys put out podcasts faster than a hummingbird's heart rate. Uh, I hear you're doing a commentary <laughs> track for Supergirl. I just yes. heard you say that second. Ago, I was listening to the end of your podcast on Bushwhacked, and I mean, of all the movies, the funny thing is now I just want to hear it because you guys chose it. Uh, the first thing I wanted to say is about Joss Whedon. I'm a fide Whedonite. Okay. Uh, that doesn't mean I think everything he does is great, already seasons six and seven of Buffy, but he puts out something new, I'm there. Uh, the reason I am such a big fan is because of the, the same reason Whitney isn't, <laughs> Tone. Uh, <laughs> I think Joss and his compadres at Mutant Enemy, is, is that a production company? That's a production oh, company. Okay. Uh, do an amazing tightrope walk of blending tones, and I haven't seen anybody else do that. I think it has, I think it is being like a stream of flavors of coke is <laughs> that for a simile I like that uh, when you have regular coke and then you notice some small vanilla and it kind of goes away I know you're tasting some cherry but here comes some raspberry etc cetera, etc cetera. you get the idea
0: <laughs> I love the metaphor it's a great metaphor
1: as somebody who's worked with soda fountains I totally get where you're coming from <laughs>
0: It's a uh, flight of Cokes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the Coke flight. Uh, I think the perfect example of this is episode season, an episode from season five of Buffy the Vampire Slayer called The Zeppo. Oh, uh, yeah. Quite frankly, though, I think if Whitney feels if Buffy violated tone in season one, then that is a relationship meant, not meant to be because the tone thing is omnipresent in Buffy throughout its run. Oh, golly. Okay, I, wrote a, um, I wrote
0: a paper about the Zeppo in college. Really? Yeah, All I right. did. <laughs>
1: Um, uh, the one, the episode I, I would show a Buffy skeptic is the one the, that Bibbs mentioned called the Body. If you don't like that one, it's just not the show for you, and that's a valid reaction. You're not obligated to like it. Mm. The Body is that where they they band Bu- together and go on a
0: long walk to see a dead body by the No, it's it's the one where Buffy's mom dies, and it's oh, not okay. it has nothing to do with supernatural. It's just she just sad. has a heart attack. It's just, just sad. Oh, well, okay. I think she had the cancer, but yeah, okay. it's just sad. Just a monster didn't get it. It wasn't part of the story. Yeah, the whole idea is that yeah, monsters and everything that's nice, but life still is just life, and sometimes Mm. people just die, and it's really, really sad. And it's a really great episode Mm. of television.
1: Uh, But I really wanted to talk about is Firefly. One thing where I noticed the ball, uh, where the ball was fumbled, is the idea that companions have a high station in the world of Firefly. I love the character and more of. Morena Beckerin, except for the scene in The Train Job when Inara saunters in and rescues Mal and Zoe, she's pretty much treated as a high-class call girl. Mal calls her a whore and gets away with it, and the first client we see her with accuses her of shorting his time with her, and there's more to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Bebs, I'm really glad they never dramatized what Inara's syringe is for. William told me what that syringe was for. Um, and, uh, and boy, that's, it's a bad... and that's, that's a bad idea. Um, what would have been horrible, and they could never have come back with, from that if they had done it. I would have really liked to have seen how the Reavers function in society, because we saw somebody become a Reaver, which was contradicted in Serenity— but if that's what happens to you when you become one, how can you, among other things, fly
0: a spaceship? Right? You're, you're an unthinkable <laughs> savage monster. So you, Flying you, a spaceship requires at least some technical, like know-how mm. and st- and mental stability in order to fly right. They're just like like drooling monsters, <clears throat> right?
1: Yeah. That's all we get out of them. Yeah. <clears throat> Start the engine. Don't <clears throat> turn over. Try again. <laughs> <clears throat> Damn it! <laughs> Call Home Depot. <clears throat> call the AAA or whatever we have um, I'm in the minority about the whole space Western thing I don't think it is one it starts off that way as the show goes on the west as the show goes on the westernist drops out and the show becomes genuine science fiction. Oh, does it, does that happen later? Yeah, because I, think I think that's debatable. It's still a Western at this point and we've watched seven I, episodes. I, I so still, far. I don't think it's something,
0: <laughs> Look, get off the table. Right. Um, I don't think it's something they ever would have gotten rid of entirely, but I do mm-hmm. think if memory serves, we do end on a spate of episodes that feel less westerny. y it's more in space. Yeah. You
1: know? um, every now and then I think some things will look westerny, but I think that's just window dressing. None mm-hmm. of this takes away from my enjoyment of the show. I love the characters and the stories. It just gets better and better and it goes on. Uh, it's... And, and it goes on, so it's so frustrating that it only lasted one, and one, uh, lasted one half of a season. And I'm looking forward to hearing Whitney's opinions as a show as you continue watching it. Um, also, switching gears. Ah! Uh, ever, everybody gives you a top ten list. Here's my top ten movies that I think are really terrific. Okay, just really terrific.
0: Uh, Real fast, I want to talk about uh, the Joss Whedon stuff in case anyone's wondering why that's so relevant. Uh, If you're not a member of our Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, as I think we mentioned uh, towards the beginning, we're doing Firefly uh, as a podcast, one episode per episode of Firefly. And some of the things that we're talking about are some of the ways in which Joss Whedon's writing... You know, has aged poorly in some cases, in which uh, Firefly struggles a bit, in which it wants to say that uh, sex work is a vaunted and celebrated position in the world of Firefly, mm-hmm. but on the actual show, we spend most of the time with Mal, who disapproves, and so the actual attitude towards that feels completely mm-hmm. hypocritical, Um we have issues, but I, i generally speaking, I'm a fan of most of Josh Whedon's work, and um, thank you for writing in about yeah. that. Now let's go with your uh, list.
1: And now he has a top ten list of uh, just... Favorites: uh, Out of the Past, uh, Goodfellas, The Man Who shop Liberty Valance. Haven't seen. Uh, oh, we almost did that the other um, week
0: for uh, the critically acclaimed uh, streaming. Yeah, club We did too. Paint
1: Your Wagon instead. Yeah. Oh,
0: Thanks, <laughs> so voters. Liberty Valance uh,
1: is so damn good. You yeah. need to see that someday. I okay. think you like uh, that. The Rules one. of the Game, which I have seen. Uh, Brilliant. Airplane. Shawn of the Dead. Hilarious. Uh, Modern Times. Um, okay, actually, I don't think I've seen Modern Times since I was very young. Um, yeah, it's been a while. It's been a me, long time say, for um, me. Yeah. Um, I've, I've seen City Lights more recently Same. yeah. 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 Uh, and the Gold Rush as well yeah uh, Joss Whedon's Marvel's The Avengers okay. uh, Once Upon a Time in the West Oh, and, it's so good! and this is Spinal Tap Oh, God, I don't like Once Upon a Time in the West and oh, this is so Spinal Wrong. Tap uh, Speaking of Out of the Past, I was stunned to hear it wasn't included in either of your top tens or as, even as a honorable mention of noirs I'm curious as to why mm. both of you didn't feel it was list worthy Personally, I think it was the quintessential film noir and proof of one of cinema's great tragedies that the young Robert Mitchum didn't play Philip Marlowe
0: um, <laughs> Well, that's true yeah. He played Philip Marlowe later on in the 70s mm. uh, when he was an older man I'm not a fan of those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but he would have been really good young Philip no. Morrow. I like him.
1: Anyway, and, uh, but the thing I really wanted to say was this. Uh, was the last part of the letter. Uh, the first podcast of yours I listened to was your cancel too soon about a show I finally remembered from my childhood called The Persuaders. And Whitney's voice reminded me of someone, but I couldn't think of who. I racked Ooh. my brain for months. Who does this guy sound like? I don't sound like anybody. Let's find out. Who? Who? Every time I listened to a podcast, it made me nuts. Then finally, one day it came to me. That's who Whitney sounds like. <laughs> Dr. Demento. Oh, God. <laughs> Okay, well, that's
0: a compliment. Uh, well, I, that's I a great compliment. I don't mind
1: being compared to Dr. Demento. I don't think I sound like him. Uh, dude, you sound like a younger, calmer Dr. Demento. It's the rhythm. You don't sound 100% alike, but your voices have the pattern of up and down, and your phrasing uh, of the, is the same and is very very familiar. Um, I bet uh, But you weren't expecting to hear that. I keep on casting. <laughs> he was well, not. Hold on. Uh, wind up your radio, Dementites and Dementoids. I, We're going to listen to the Funny Five. I've been told
0: that I sound mm-hmm. like Richard Dreyfuss. I don't hear
1: it, but yeah. I'll take your word for it.
0: I'm Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> I'm having a very good day.
1: I'm, I'm playing it. What, what does that sound like? What, what is that? Did I'm having a very good day from Let It Ride. No, I know what, the, what it's from, but your voice doesn't sound anything like Richard Dreyfuss. I don't know, man. I've just been told it sound like
0: Richard Drivers. Right. Tell me what I sound like. Be honest. I'm curious. I sound um, like William Bibiani. Uh, People should sound like you. Uh, regarding the film noir, we did an episode of The Iron List a few months ago where Whitney and I chose our picks for the best film noirs ever made. That is actually a very tough list to write. There's oh, yeah. a lot of great stuff. We left off not only our list, but also our runners-up. Out of the Past is a very good film noir I totally respect it being on your list uh, for whatever reason it never really hit me too hard mm. and although I have nothing but respect for it and I recommend it to everybody mm. just didn't make the cut mm. uh, there are other movies I like more okay. um, but that's, so that's why there no no conspiracy there no hot take it's really good just there are others I like more okay yeah have yeah, uh, you not seen it? I, I've seen it. Yeah, I, I like it fine. List.
1: Just didn't make my list. Yeah. Uh, n- no reason it didn't. You know, ask yeah. me today. It might. Uh, there's <laughs> it. It. though again to go back to what we were talking about earlier. This idea that we need to codify something for posterity hmm. is. Uh, you know, it's it's a fun thing to debate. It's sure. what a lot of internet discourse is based on, yeah. but it's not really helpful when it comes to
0: actual well, discussions of here, art. Here, here's uh, here's something that I do think is relevant, though. When people like us will do an article in which we're gonna or podcast in which we're gonna recommend what we think are the best film wars ever, hmm. and we leave a movie out. Hmm. That's a movie that doesn't get like pitched to people who might not otherwise have seen it. That's true. That's... So that there's there's a downside, and I mm-hmm. understand wanting to pitch up and say, "Hey, listen." You didn't put Out of the Past on your on your list. Mm. I think you should have. I would like to leave a comment saying, by the way, Out of the Past is also great. Okay, well... That's a great comment.
1: That's a great comment, yeah. and you know what? I would like to hereby recommend Out of the Past. Please do. Out of the Past is really great. Excellent. Did I put The Big Heat on my list? I don't think I did. I don't think you did. Watch The Big Heat as well. Yeah, watch The Big Steel. That's a really underappreciated Robert Mitchum film noir. Mm. Watch all of the French noirs from the 50s and 60s. Oh, yeah. Every the, single one of the them. Les
0: Samurai uh shoot the piano player shoot
1: the piano player uh everything that jean-pierre melville ever did mm. uh, you can uh, skip
0: alphaville
2: oh uh, that's it's, it's uh, a sci-fi uh, noir sci-fi it's also noir just i also jo- just don't think it works jean
1: luc Godard. that's a little bit of an odd one but yeah see si, mm. see si, uh les douleurs see si, qu'est mm. des affaires see si, touche pas au grisby bob uh, le
0: flambeur bob which i think flambor. actually did make our list yeah
1: bob le flambeur uh, it did uh, yeah. bob le flambeur is terrific it's so damn good um, yeah, just watch, watch the, all of the films by Jean-Pierre Melville. I yeah. Just, you'll, you'll love them all. Good stuff. All right, I think we have time for one or two more. Okay, uh, here is a letter that I had called up from Brendan. Okay. Uh, dear Wibbs and Bitney. Hi. Hi. Uh, I was listening to an episode of the DGA podcast with James Mangold, and he said something interesting about how films today are too focused on long takes or wonners and not enough of transitional cuts. <clears throat> and here's a, a long quote. We cannot, I'm going to put on my DGA voice. (laughs) We cannot, in the blink of an eye, be home. We cannot, in the blink of an eye, be ten years from now. So that the magic of cinema is in the cut. And the power of that cut and the juxtaposition of it. Which is partly why sometimes I get sad about it. When I teach young filmmakers who are trying to do everything in a Warner. As if the cut were some kind of concussion. When the cut is one of the most powerful tools we have. Hmm. Warner films are awesome and exciting too. But it's just the fashion of kind of a feeling that the cut has become something people actually feel is kind of like a crutch, as opposed to being a thing of beauty.
2: Hmm. Uh,
1: this has actually crystallized a lot. <laughs> Sorry for my pretentious voice. I love it. Um, This has actually crystallized a lot of what I found annoying about how we assess filmmaking today. Woners have been around forever, going back to Rope or the opening shot of Touch of Evil. Mm-hmm. But it seems like since technology and visual effects has advanced to a point, we are seeing a lot more of them in recent movies. I remember watching London Has Fallen, which is, a, which is a loathsome film, uh, <laughs> yes. which has an action sequence in it that is a wonder, and thinking that a terrible movie can have a wonner, that they have become significantly less impressive to me. Yep. The talk around films like Children of Men, The Revenant, Birdman, or 1917 was that they had inherently good filmmaking because the wonners were technically impressive mm-hmm. and they must have been difficult to set up. The problem is that just because the shot is impressive technically doesn't mean it's right for the story. It's telling to me that Mad Max Fury Road is probably the best pure action movie ever and doesn't require. On long takes, and instead relies on making the right cuts. Mm -hmm. Uh, As a result, Fury Road seems less showy and more seamless than something like 1917. My question is: Do you think that criticism has fallen too much in love with long takes like this, and have these wonders become less impressive to you over time? Thanks, Brendan. That's a great uh, question.
0: Yeah. Um, we just talked about Extraction, which is on, on Netflix now on our most recent critically acclaimed podcast, and that has a big long wonder that occasionally made me go, "Wow, how'd they do that?" Mm. And I didn't give a shit about the actual thing being depicted. Woners. Which is one take one take opening shot of touch of evil where we start off with someone uh, hitting the dial on a time bomb throwing it in a car and then we follow the car through a city until the car blows up long complicated bravura filmmaking Mm. if I could do something I would I would change the name that we use for these shots the -er. oneer. I would change it to "Hey, Ma, watch me dive." Yeah,
1: it's it's usually just to show off. Uh, there was a really there's a really impressive one take sequence at the beginning of Escape from New York that was cut. Yeah, uh, where we actually got to see how Snake Plissken was apprehended by the police, the crime he committed. And it was a uh, and they elaborate were
0: using, um, heist in the subway. Yeah, they were and, using
1: um uh, what was Panavision's version of panaglide. the panaglide, the panaglide. Um, yeah. They were using panaglide cameras, and they were strapping them onto people and following them through subways. And then uh, they spent a lot of time setting this up. They did the same thing at the beginning of Halloween, mm-hmm. and uh, made
0: more sense in Halloween. Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: and and also uh, just...
0: The well, mask it's really made it. Well, in cool, Halloween, um, it's justified. We're putting you behind the eyes mm, of a killer. Yeah, so yeah. it made sense. There's a story, and, reason and we're for also that.
1: hiding the identity of the killer, yeah. which is pretty we're, cool. We're, um, we're
0: putting you in the hunt, yeah. which is uh, something that is really creepy.
1: Knowing how Snake Plissken got in prison, John Carpenter realized that is not important to that story. Yeah that he's in prison is enough. You know, mm-hmm. you're a badass who's in prison. He has an eye patch. He's played by Kurt Russell and he growls a lot. Yeah. That's all you need from that character. The, the,
0: all, the escape from New York. The important thing is that we're escaping from New York. So we got to get to New York fast. faster. Yeah, so... He, uh, John Carpenter looked at the sequence that
1: he worked very hard to film and realized it wasn't necessary for the movie, and it hasn't been in any subsequent cuts since. Yeah, it's a pleasant scene. You can see. Yeah, it. you can. But, uh, but yeah. I think seeing it apart from the film is a better way to see it. Exactly. When it's cut into the movie, it ruins the movie. Um, exactly. I remembered uh, when um, Star Wars three came out, known um, uh, Attack of the Clones, uh, Revenge, of Revenge, of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Uh, that opens also with like one gigantic. One shot take But it's all animated So it's not that impressive
0: There's a one shot take Uh, In uh, Adventures of Tintin Mm. Which is I I will say this right now It's the one exception To it's animated So I'm not impressed It is a logistical nightmare to imagine. We're going to start this chase at the top of a hill, and uh-huh. we're going to end it in the ocean, and we're going to go through all these buildings, and people are going to get separated and mm. reintersect, and the geography all has to make mm. sense. It is and then com- choreographed. An it's city, really complicated. Yeah. It's not the same level of impressed mm. as I am when I'm watching something like 1917, which is indeed an impressive mm. accomplishment. But the problem with these one take shots is that, I argue, they're not immersive. I think they are very distracting. One mm. is because they're changing the language of cinema as we conventionally know it, but the big reason is because the language of cinema as we know it exists in order to give us the illusion of immersion. I think it was Catherine Bigelow who was talking about mm. this once, where she was talking about how uh, you, you can't do like a scene from The Hurt Locker in only one shot. You can't mm. do it in a one-er because we use the power of editing to uh, illustrate situational awareness. Mm. Like, think about what what the character is seeing in that moment. What is important in that moment, Mm. what they are aware of around them. When you have, like, imagine whoever you are listening to this, imagine who you are, like, right now, all right? You're looking at your laptop or at your phone or you're doing your dishes or you're driving your car, whatever, but there's a lot of stuff going on Around you. You're not all seeing it from your point of view, but you're aware of it. And if it was relevant, we would cut to it. Mm. We don't all necessarily have this, like, external viewpoint where we're going to see everything relevant to us and it's going to be all smooth. I know that that's life. Life is an uninterrupted take except when you blink Mm. or when you sleep or when you close your eyes voluntarily. But generally speaking, we glide through our lives in one uninterrupted take. We don't see how false that is because we're, we're also thinking, we're feeling, we're hearing things behind us. Yeah. But when you pull out and you only do that in cinema, it's showing off. It can be fun to show off. There's a lot of movies that like to sort of say like, oh, I'm going to do it one better. Mm. And that can be really, really exciting provided you find a place for it. Yeah. If yeah. there's no place for it. You're just doing it to do it, and that's not for the story's sake. Mm. That's for your sake, because you want to show off. Yeah. Um, If you want a truly impressive
1: one take movie, Mm. that you're impressed by the technicals of it, but you also realize that the (sighs) Function of doing it that way was actually a good way to ponder the way time moves mm. watch Russian Ark for God's sake oh okay uh, Russian Ark was made in the early 2000 2003 I think when uh, digital cameras were still a bit of a novelty for mm. mainstream feature films yep and uh, the filmmaker of uh, Russian Arc, Alexander Sokorov a Russian filmmaker went into uh, the Hermitage in Russia and had hired hundreds of dancers several orchestras and you know just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of actors to uh kind of reenact in microcosm russian history yeah as it is curated by uh like two narrators who are sort of wandering through it has this weird sort of uh, uh divine comedy setup where two people are just sort of wandering through these various circles but it's russian history in this case yeah but all of that sort of plays as background, and all of it in sort of trying to condense time, you do realize that's kind of the function of history, isn't it? And you're mm. actually thinking about the way time stretches and elongates the more you think about it. Hmm. Uh, and also, it's very impressive, because that was probably impossible to pull off, because they're wandering through this gigantic building mm. that just strike up orchestras at just the right moment. Yeah. The last shot is they're pulling out, and hundreds of people flood into the streets. Mm-hmm that's really impressive but it wasn't done for the sake of it they had a reason to do it that way yeah um another one uh another other films that do it that way like uh i know you don't like him but Gaspar Noe does this to good effect yeah um where he does i haven't seen a lot of his movies he does a lot of these really like these like long one take shots where he's just sort of leaning really close in on people and they're rushing around and they're panicking and Those kinds of shots are, I think, better when they're trying to make you really uncomfortable.
2: Yeah.
1: And so Gasparn always seems to understand that, that if you can't look away and you're seeing something really horrible, that one take is just going to make you feel a little bit more sick. And that's his goal. He wants to make you a little bit disgusted. When Sam Mendes makes 1917 with one take, there's no reason to do it other than to do it. There is no good reason that
0: 1917 I think, I had think, to be done you, you in know, one someone, take. You know, someone made a point to me, I wish I could remember who it was, mm. that the one thing that is you get mm. from 1917 being in one take that you might not appreciate otherwise uh-huh. is actually not the timing, it's actually the geography,
2: okay. and you get to
0: see just how close all of these things are, mm. and how we start off with a tranquil setting, and then... 20 yards from that, mm. there's the foxholes. Okay. And then 50 yards from that, there's the enemy lines. And then 50 mm. yards from that, there's a decaying cityscape. Like, okay. when you just see just like it's sometimes hard to wrap our heads around the actual physical realities
2: mm-hmm.
0: of war. And I think 1917 does an interesting job of that. I wish it kind of had more to say about that other than, wow, it sure is sad. But like I do think it accomplishes that and that's an excellent oh, point okay, um, there's a movie that I actually really really like that was done um, in that uh, uh, mold uh, and it's a small film and I think you know doing this one take uh, thing in a low budget film is a little more impressive you know you're working with less resources it's more complicated um it's part of it is a lot of independent cinema is hey mom watch me dive mm-hmm. because you're trying to get noticed. Yeah, you know, this independent cinema is this just big pile of movies and it's really hard to rise to the top. So if you got a gimmick, it makes sense. You push it. Um, but a really good example uh, that I really like is a movie called Running Time, uh, directed by Josh Becker and starring Bruce Campbell. Mm. Um, and it's largely overlooked. It's really fun, though. I uh, I, Bruce, think I know this movie. It's no. good. It's a uh, it's all done in one take. It, it's faked. I'm sure I don't. I haven't seen it in a while. I couldn't recall where the cuts mm. were, but I'm pretty sure they're there. Um Bruce Campbell gets out of prison, walks out into, uh, you know, into the parking lot, gets in a van where all his friends are there uh, to pick him up, and they immediately go to their next heist. <laughs> it is just mm. fast-paced criminality. Of course, the heist goes wrong, and they all have to run away. But it's all about the intensity of that experience. Yeah. Um, so that's a fun one that people don't talk about a lot. And if you can track it down, I don't, I haven't checked. To see if it's available on streaming. Um, it's certainly a good time. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, it's a fun, uh, somewhat impressive, uh, independent crime movie. That's pretty well made. Right.
2: Um,
0: so that's that. Um, so I think that's good. Okay. That's good. We're good. good for, that's good for the week. we, uh, we, We've covered a lot of topics. Thank you, everybody, for writing in. Uh, We love being able to talk to you and talk about the things that you're interested in. Um, It's always fascinating to hear what other people are thinking about movies because movies can be a very personal experience, Mm. even for film critics. You have to write about it and share it with other people. Um, So it's really, really great to get so many other perspectives and to learn more about what you're interested in. Thank Mm. you for that. Uh, If you want to write in, once again, our email is letters at net. Uh, you can email us about anything at all, and we will sure try to get it on the podcast, uh, th- which we do every week. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. If you want a ton of bonus content, you head on over to Patreon.com/slash Critically Acclaimed Network, uh, where at every single tier there is a backlog of stuff mm. for you to enjoy. We hope you really, really like it. Um, we got Star Trek podcast, Firefly podcast, Oscars history podcast, uh, a Disney podcast, uh, and uh, more cool stuff is coming. Actually, pretty soon we're going to, uh, as I said, update our tiers a little bit. Um, so uh, we'll be back next week with more We've Got Mail. Uh, everyone stay uh, safe, sane, and happy. And uh, sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney.